0: Well, thank you so very much, praise team. I'm so grateful for your ministry, and I look forward to learning that new song about the Holy Spirit. Thank you for introducing that to us today. Well, this morning I'd like to begin uh, with uh, another question. And the question for your consideration this morning is, what is the distinctive sign that somebody is a true Christian? How might you answer that question this morning? Well, I want to give to you the answer that the distinctive pastor and student of God's Word and Christian leader Francis Schaeffer gave to this question. And listen to what Dr. Schaeffer said. He said, the great distinction of a true Christian is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Pastor John Stott, who was another great Christian and distinctive pastor and leader, said essentially the same thing. Dr. Stott wrote, The hallmark of the authentic believer is the possession or the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason that these two pastors agree on the answer is because this is what the Bible says. Uh, Look with me at... First John four thirteen, and notice what it says. We know that we live in Him, and He lives in us because He has given us of His Spirit. So this verse is the positive side. We know we're Christians because we know the Holy Spirit lives within us. And then look at the verse we're going to see today in our passage in Romans eight Romans eight nine. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So this is the negative side. We know that we are not Christians if we do not have the Holy Spirit. So this leads to really a very fundamental question this morning. Does the Holy Spirit live in you? Does the Holy Spirit live in me? And if the Holy Spirit does live in us, then how would we know? What demonstrates His presence? What are the signs that the Holy Spirit is indwelling a person, a Christian? Well, this morning, as we come back to Romans 8, that's what we want to look at in verses 5 through 11. Now, you know that uh, the main theme of Romans chapter 8 is what the Holy Spirit does for us. It is about life in the Spirit. And in verses 5 through 11, the subject has to do with this great ministry that the Holy Spirit indwells all Christians. And what we learn here is unmistakable proof that the Spirit of God is in you and working in you. Let's take our Bibles and open to Romans chapter 8 this morning. And I want to read verses 5 through 11 as we begin. And I want to ask you, as you read about this contrast here, who is this a contrast between? And so you follow along, Romans chapter 8. And I want you to notice as we look at verses 5 through 11 and ask yourself this question, Who? will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Now, who is this a contrast between? And the answer is very clear. This is a contrast between believers and non-believers. Now, at first glance, as we read through this passage, we might think, This is a contrast between two types of Christians, a spiritual Christian and an unspiritual Christian. But if we were to conclude that, we would miss very badly the meaning of this passage, which is what the Holy Spirit is doing in believers. You see, what we need to see here today is that verses 5 through 11 are a unit they all hang together with one theme, the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. So that means verse 9 then applies to all seven of these verses, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit distinguishes believers from non-believers. Pastor Warren Wearsby is so succinct. He says, Paul is not describing two kinds of Christians. He is contrasting the saved and the unsaved. You see, what it is so easy for us to do is to say something like this. So and so is a Christian. He just doesn't live like one. How easy it is for us to say that. But that is in fact what we must never say. And we must never encourage someone to think that way. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is so powerful in its effects in someone's life that you cannot be indwelt by the Holy Spirit and not see the change that He makes. That's the Apostle Paul's point here as he talks about this great, wonderful indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. So let's look together, shall we, at the powerful effects of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And you'll notice that the first one is found in verses 5 and 6. He changes how we think about spiritual truths. If you're a Christian here today and you know the Holy Spirit lives within you, you know... A transformation came to you about the way you think about spiritual matters, matters in the Word of God. Now look again at verse 5, "...for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace." Now, it's interesting that the word mind or minds occurs five times in verses 5, 6, and 7. And that word that occurs five times does not refer to the mind itself, but rather it refers to what we might call a mindset. A mindset is a person's outlook, it's their desires, their pursuits, and their interests. And sometimes we use the word mind in that way, don't we? We might say to somebody, mind what you're doing. And we mean give attention to what you are doing. Uh, We might say about a person, they have a one-track mind. And we mean they are interested in one thing. I might say to you this morning, my mind is made up. And so what am I saying? Well, I am determined that I'm going to do a certain thing. Now, in all those ways, brothers and sisters, what we are talking about is a mindset. A mindset determines how one acts, what motivates a person... It influences whom or what we choose as sources of knowledge or authority. It affects a person's view of every single experience. It shapes a person's value system. And it dominates a person's private and public life. That is a mindset. Now I want you to notice that verses 5 and 6 say there are only two possible mindsets. The natural or sinful mindset... And the mindset of the Holy Spirit. Now notice, uh, the sinful mindset is dominated by the flesh. And we see that word over and over again in these verses. The person who has this sinful mindset, according to verse 5, lives according to the flesh. And the flesh in the Bible is human nature that is corrupted and controlled by sin. It is what one Bible student calls the sin-dominated self. And this person's mindset, according to verse 5, is on the things of the flesh. They are interested in what pleases their inner sinful nature rather than God. And so their choices, their decisions, their values, their motives are secular. They are of this world. And Paul here is describing the non christian But then notice the mindset of those indwelled by the Holy Spirit is dominated by the Spirit of God. That's what live according to the Spirit in verse 5 is referring to. It's the Holy Spirit who grants spiritual life to all who have come to Jesus in repentance and faith. And so, according to verse 5, this person's mindset is on the things of the Spirit. They're interested in what pleases the Lord. Their choices, decisions, values, and motives are directed to godly things. This is the Christian. Now, as we've been looking at here in Romans 7 and 8, we need to recognize that the Christian still has the flesh and therefore cannot perfectly please God. What Paul is talking here about is our orientation, not perfection. It's so important for us to see this. The Christian's basic orientation and innermost concerns now become the Holy Spirit's concerns. And so if we are a Christian and the Holy Spirit has indwelled us, our mind is directed towards the truth. We're aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit. We seek to please the Holy Spirit. We meditate upon the Bible, which is given by the Holy Spirit. We're sensitive to sin because the Holy Spirit is grieved in our lives by sin. And we are very eager to follow the Spirit's guidance. We want to know which direction is the Spirit going, because I want to go the direction that He is going. This is the mindset of the Christian. Uh, In my previous church, I will never forget a young couple that lived in our neighborhood and started coming to our church. And they both had uh, a testimony that they were Christians and knew the Lord and wanted to follow Him as their Lord and Savior. Well, one day they approached me about getting married in our church. And so uh, they came into my office during the week, and as we were uh, talking together, I discovered that they were living together. And I said to them, uh, I said, now, if you want to have a Christian wedding, then you need to be living according to Christian standards. And I said to them, "Uh, if you want to get married in our church, I said, I'd be pleased to work with you and I'd be happy to be involved in your wedding. But I said, what I'm going to ask you to do is one of you move out until the wedding so that you can have a Christian standard as you come into this wedding. I will never forget what the guy said. He looked at me and he said, that's interesting. And no one had ever told him before what God's standards in this area were. And then the next thing he said was, we'll have to think about that. So I showed them a few verses they had never seen before. said, let's get together the next week. The next week when we met, the girl had already moved out back in with her mother. And that's the mark of a Christian. That's the mark of somebody in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. Well, I had a wonderful time in counseling that couple, in premarital counseling. Uh, The wedding was a wonderful celebratory uh, affair. And it was such a happy time for them because they knew they were following the direction of the Holy Spirit. And there is no joy like that for the Christian. Now, notice Paul tells us another mark of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Here's the second mark. He changes our attitude towards God. He changes our attitude towards God. Look at verses 7 and 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, I want you to notice that the last word of verse 6 and all of verse 7 is describing two contrasting attitudes towards God. The attitude of the Christian at the end of verse 6 is peace. Did you notice that? Life and peace. Peace. That's the peace that believers know they have with God because they've been justified by their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a believer now knows, because the Holy Spirit has come within, is I am now on friendly terms with God. I'm no longer His enemy. And instead of fighting God, the Christian now has an attitude, I want to submit to God. But notice in verse 7, the attitude of the non-Christian is war. Verse 7 says, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Now that's a very important word. That word hostile there means opposition or antagonism. The sinful mind of the non-Christian is in revolt against God you know what we call this theologically? We call this the doctrine of total depravity. That's what the Apostle Paul is describing here. Now, total depravity does not mean that every non-Christian is as bad as they can be. Aren't you grateful for nice sinners? Aren't we? You know, if you're living next to folks who are not Christians, you want them to be nice non-Christians, don't you? So this doesn't mean that every non-Christian is as bad as they can be. But what this means is, they are completely in the grip of sin's power, influencing their whole personality away from God. That's the issue here. And if we say, well, what is it that the non-Christian is hostile to? Did you notice the answer? They are hostile to God's moral standards. Look at verse 7 again. They do not submit to God's law. God's law is his moral standards. Since God's law is a reflection of Himself, to oppose His standards is to oppose Him. If we oppose the moral law, we oppose the moral lawgiver, no matter how nice we may be about it. You see what Paul is saying? When the Holy Spirit comes in, He changes our attitude to God. You know, sometime after that young couple that I told you about that came to our church and I had the privilege of working with and ultimately marrying, an older, unmarried couple started coming to our church as well. And uh, one day the man uh, of this older couple uh, said to me, You know, I'd like to become a member of your church. And so we said, well, okay, we'll come over and talk with you about that. So my wife and I, we went over and visited. We had a very nice visit. He was there just by himself. The the woman was not there. And so we had this wonderful visit. And then later, we learned they were living together too. He was 75 years of age. Seventy-five. And I took a great big gulp because I knew I had a difficult phone call to make. So I got on the phone, called him, shared with him what I had learned and asked if it was true. And he said, yes. And then I explained something very similar as I did to the young couple. I, I said, if you want to become a member of our church... You have to be living to according to Christian standards. I want to tell you what a different response I got from this fella. First thing that happened, his daughter called me and chewed me out. And I thought, my goodness, you're sicking your daughter on me. And, and I remember the one thing she said. She said, come on, Pastor Brian, it's the 1990s, not the 1890s. And I thought, God's moral standards don't change regardless of what year it is. And then a letter came to the church for the deacons. And in the letter, this man tried to get me fired it was the first libel letter that I'd ever experienced trying to get me fired. And I thought, my goodness, I didn't yell, I wasn't mean, I didn't say anything nasty. I just gave this man who said he was a Christian the simple truth. Well, why such hostility? Well, look at verse 8 those who are in the flesh cannot please god by the way do you know why they cannot it's because they will not they are in opposition to god by the way uh sometime later i met the woman in the store She and that man had broken up and she had moved out. And she was so hurt by him, she said to me, I haven't come back to your church as long as he is going there. And I said to her, He doesn't come to our church. In fact, I've never seen him since. And why the difference in those two men and their reactions? It was the same situation, I gave the same counsel, it was a totally different response. One man said to me, you've told me the truth. In fact, you know what that young man said to me that night, when that couple came back and they told me that the girl had moved out, you know what that young man said to me? He said, we want you to know we're not doing this because you said so. We're doing this because this says so. And that's a sign of the Holy Spirit. But the other man, hearing very similar truth, wanted to fire me. And we say, why? Well, it's the next change that the indwelling Holy Spirit makes. Number three, He changes our control center. Look at verse 9 and 10 again. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, if you look at the verses 9 and 11, you will notice the word dwell occurs three times. It's a very interesting word. It was used of a home that someone inhabits. In fact, the root word of the word dwell is the word for house, and outside of the New Testament, in Greek literature, it was used of taking forcible possession of a house. It means possession by a superior power. It's the difference between a guest and an owner. If a guest comes to your home, that guest, you're, you're in charge of the home because you're the owner. But if you were to sell that home to that guest, you would no longer be in charge, but the guest would be in charge. And so, when the Bible says the Holy Spirit dwells in us, what it means is this. He takes total possession of the person and directs his or her life in a new way. So the Holy Spirit changes our desires, our will in our direction. We all know one of the greatest passages on this wonderful thing is 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. Let's read it together this morning. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You know what I learned from this? The Holy Spirit doesn't come to reside. He comes to preside, doesn't He? He doesn't come in to reside while I preside. He comes in as the owner. He comes in as the superior power. He comes in to preside. And the difference between those two men was one was dwelt by the Holy Spirit, the other was not. Our new will, our new desires, our new direction reveals the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But because we continue as a Christian to have the flesh within us, as Romans 7 teaches, we do not live this life perfectly. This is not about perfection, but it is about a new orientation. Because our control center is now different. Let's notice the final thing. Number four. The Holy Spirit changes our future. He changes our future. Look at verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, through his spirit who dwells in you so brothers and sisters this not only affects time but it affects eternity verse 11 here is a powerful argument for the eternal security of all true indwelt by the holy spirit christians look at the argument If God's Holy Spirit indwells me, then God will do for me the same thing He did for Jesus. If God raised Jesus from the dead, then He will give me life in all of its fullness. Verse 6 says, this is life and peace. But notice, those not indwelt by the Spirit, verse 6, their mind, the mind of the flesh, is dead. And so this is life apart from God now and for eternity. Do you see the point here? If you have the Holy Spirit, you are God's forever. Forever. You're God's because... His Spirit has been sent into you. He's going to do for you the very thing He did for Jesus. If He rose up Jesus from the dead and brought Him into a new and glorious life, then He will raise us up from the dead and He will bring us into the culmination of our life. But if you do not have the Spirit, you're lost forever you're lost forever. What a wonderful thing the Lord is offering to everyone who will come in repentance and faith to Jesus. I can't think of any greater life now and any greater life to come than this life. Let's read them together, shall we? That they might burn their way into our hearts. Join me. He changes how we think about spiritual truths. He changes our attitude towards God. He changes our control center. And he changes our future. And all God's people said together Amen. Amen. Let's bow together in prayer. If you're here today and you would say, Pastor, I'm not really sure the Holy Spirit has come to live within me. This change that you're talking about, it seems foreign to me. Maybe the reason is is you've never come in genuine repentance and faith. Cast yourself at the foot of the cross. And pled for the mercy of Christ in salvation. Because if you've truly entered into that relationship with the Lord Jesus, you know I'm different, I'm new, I'm not exactly the same person I was. And the wonderful news is the Lord invites you to come to Him today. You can confess that you are the sinner that this passage talks about. You're in revolt against God. But you can say from your heart, Lord Jesus, I, I, I want to turn from my own way. I want to turn to You. I believe who You are. I believe what You've done. You died and rose for me. And today, in repentance and faith, I invite you to be my Lord and Savior. Come into my heart and be my Savior. Come into my life and be my Lord. Forgive me of my many sins. Give to me the gift of the Holy Spirit and His new life. Make me a child of God. And then say, Lord, taking you at your word, I now want to follow you. I do want what the Holy Spirit wants. I want His direction, His will in my life. And I will begin to learn your word Fellowship with your people and live my life in a new direction. Lord Jesus, thank you for saving me. Father, today I pray in this quiet moment as the Spirit of God is present that You would speak to hearts. How easy it is for us to assume. Because I know these things. I have experienced them. But Father, if these marks of the Holy Spirit are absent, it's because he's absent, no matter what our profession may be. And today, may we be honest with ourselves. May we be honest with you. And if there is any doubt, may we grab hold of the good news. And come to Jesus, knowing that if we come in real repentance and sincere faith, that He will honor that and He will save us. And so draw men, women, young people, boys and girls to yourself. And Lord, as your dear children, thank you for the encouraging, encouraging evidence along the way that the Spirit of God dwells in us. We love you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.